You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video for the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things. The treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us. Cleanse us of all stain and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello, Annie Mitchell. Hello, Father Hezekiah. Welcome to back you. to... Sunday Gospel Reflections here at the Institute of Catholic Culture for the 32nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. We're getting close to the end of the liturgical year Yeah, for us. I think you Byzantines, didn't you have like your liturgical new year already? I, we, I think I've said this like 15 times, but I'll say it again. <laughs> yes, the old calendar, um, uh, I don't mean the old like Trentine calendar, I mean the old calendar like going back to the old days, you know, set by the Romans, according to the festal cycle of the natural year, ended with the fall harvest, and a new year began. You know, you kind of get this, you got to think about the, the the Mediterranean world, in some ways, very similar to like this, the climate of California. Mm-hmm. Because even right now, everything is kind of like the leaves are starting to fall, but the grass is starting to grow. Oh, because interesting. As soon as you get the first rain, you get you start getting green fields all over the place it's been very dry all summer wow. you know it's right now that the farmers all the harvest is in boom and now we begin the new process toward the new year um and so that was the kind of the, the cycle but a little bit different here whereas in, here in the midwest everything is like dying although it's beautiful outside right now yeah in the, the time of jesus time nobody of lived in the mid- midwest because yeah it's all <laughs> Just okay. stop there before Let's you go. start getting angry emails. Let's look at the readings. Second, um, if you have a yeah, if you have a non-Catholic Bible, you're gonna have to like pull Burn up the lectionary on uh, online or something because you're not gonna get our first reading. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Second Maccabees, one of those Maccabees. one of those texts rejected by Martin Luther is non-canonical, but has always been accepted in the church as an inspired text, and so here we are. The uh, second Maccabees chapter seven. Yep. Verses one and two. And then we'll skip down to verses nine through 14. The responsorial Psalm is Psalm 17. The gospel for this weekend is Luke chapter 20 verses 27 through 38. And the epistle is St. Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 16 through chapter 3 verse 5. there you have it there you have it a little comment i just gotta expand my comment and i didn't prepare to say this so i'm going to say it in kind of rudimentary terms but at least be able to point you in the right direction um and that is regarding the canon of scripture uh we have a, t- a talk at the institute of catholic culture called how the bible came to be mm-hmm. so i'd recommend that you go listen to that talk if you're interested in a subject matter 
But basically, it comes down to the fact that in 70 AD, or shortly after that, the fall of Jerusalem, the Jews came together in council. The leaders of the Jews came together in a council uh, in the in the city of Jamnia called the Council of Jamnia, in which they defined the canon of scripture, which was to be considered inspired and rejected all those texts which were being used heavily by the Christians in defense of Christian doctrine. And under the claim that the rejection was that we, they only had, that the only inspired books were books that were written in Hebrew. Now, unfortunately for them, certain texts which were believed, which were they only had at the time in Greek have been discovered since then through the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls and other things to actually have been written in Hebrew. So it's kind of like at Jamnio didn't really work out too well. Mm -hmm. Luther basing his rejection of the church canon or attempting to reject the church, the canon of the church, the the canon of scripture referred back to Jamnia and accepted those books into what most Protestants have today as their Bible. And uh, that's a very painting with very broad brush. As I said, I didn't really prepare to say this. This is, I'm pulling off of like 15, 20 year old memory. 25 year old memory, but uh, you can, but this way the Institute of Catholic Culture is great because you can go to the library and we got it all there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can go back and check that out and listen to that talk on how the Bible came to be and learn more about that. But I said, this text is, was always considered inspired by the church, even before the question of what's in and what's out. That's, and that's kind of the, more the point of, we have to understand that the early Christian church, much like the, the Jews before 70 AD, didn't do great acrobatic trips to tricks to be able to defend the the canonical nature of a particular work. Things were considered inspired by God and not particularly defined exactly of what that meant exactly. So you have things like the letters of Ignatius of Antioch being read in the liturgy of the church in in the first couple centuries. It doesn't end up in the canonical scriptures. So we, I think it's really helpful to us to kind of get away from apologetics for a moment, breathe a little bit, realize that, that the nature of inspiration, and now everybody's going to freak out, like, but the Council of Trent declared. I, I understand that's not my point. My point is this, that in the early church, it was much more of an of a understanding of, of in, inspiration and maybe a little bit less defined and strict sense which allowed for a real uh, appreciation of other texts mm-hmm. as inspired by God, including the declarations of a council, right? How is it the church came to believe that a council's declaration were inspired by God? Well, because God inspires his church. He inspires his people. He speaks through his prophets. And so, of course, the church is inspired when she speaks in council. And, and of course, we define that more clearly later on. But but first and second Maccabees, of course, it was considered in 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 many ways like the Book of Revelation, which, by the way, was not always and everywhere in every list of canonical scriptures, mm-hmm. and yet it's inspired, right? And and yeah. you see what I'm saying is, and so it's within the family, and God speaks to His family. First and second Maccabees certainly in that category, and of course is defined as a, one of the canonical scriptures for the apostolic churches. That's my. Well, where do I find it in my Bible, Father? Depends on which Bible you have. <laughs> exactly. So it's either at the end of your Old Testament as the final two books, because from a date standpoint, it pretty much lands right there, right? First mm-hmm. and second Maccabees is being written in the midpoint of the second century BC. So like 150 years before the coming of Christ, 
125 years, 100 years, right in that range is where this is traditionally said to have been written because of certain timestamps that are given in the text itself. Okay. But the New American Bible that many of you have, I don't know if it's true about all New Americans, but many of the New Americans are out there, the St. Joseph's of Edition and stuff. We'll try to help you kind of organize your Bible in a different way by putting all the historical books of the Bible together. And so it'll it'll list it all the historical books up through first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, first and second Maccabees, I believe. Am I right? I do believe that's correct. In so my Bible, I have an RSV. Yeah. And mine is right after Esther. Okay, so there you go. Esther, Job, and all that stuff. They'll put in those guys, true. And then for second Maccabees, okay, fine. I didn't go look it up. I'm sorry. The point is, you got to go search around for it yeah, yeah, was, in your Bible. I'm trying to give people some time to go searching around for second it. Maccabees. If you haven't found second Maccabees yet, we're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, go. All right, let's read it. Second Maccabees chapter seven. But here's what we're going to do today. We're starting with verse one, and we're actually going to read through verse 14. So I'm going to have read from our bibles that's the rsv edition the uh because your lectionary, lectionary text skips. skips from verse three through through verse eight so we'll go you know whatever so let's go ahead and read the whole thing all together okay let me pull it up in my bible and not See, in my you were in the, i knew i was going to catch you off guard on that you just this is payback for me asking you where to find it luckily i had a bookmark okay here we are it happened also that seven brothers and their mother were arrested and were being compelled by the king under torture with whips and cords to partake of unlawful swine's flesh. Ooh. One of them acting, you like swine's flesh? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they were, what was going pork. on was they're trying, they're cooking the bacon in the morning. And like, oh gosh, it sounds so good. Okay. Yeah. okay. But not to them, clearly, as we're about to find out. One of them, acting as their spokesman, said, What do you intend to ask and learn for us? For we are ready to die rather than transgress the laws of our fathers. The king fell into a rage and gave orders that pans and cauldrons be heated. These were heated immediately, and he commanded that the tongue of their spokesman be cut out and that they scalp him and cut off his hands and feet, while the rest of the brothers and the mother looked on. This is probably why the church skipped this part because <laughs> there's children listening. <laughs> you know, I gotta love the Bible. You gotta love the Bible. It's, it's just like you don't have to go read Last of the Mohicans, you know, as this great uh it, it's all in the Bible. You know, we need a we need a good movie by what's his name who did the passion of the christ oh yeah um mel gibson mel gibson's got to do the maccabee brothers i think there was talk about that at one point anyways go ahead okay <laughs> okay back to the back after they to the scalped reading. him and cut his hands off go all right ahead. they want to scalp him and cut his hands off and now we're in uh verse five when he was utterly helpless the king ordered them to take him to the fire still breathing and to fry him in a pan the smoke from the pan spread widely, but the brothers and their mother encouraged one another to die nobly, saying, The Lord God is watching over us and in truth has compassion on us, as Moses declared in his song, which bore witness against the people to their faces, when he said, And he will have compassion on his servants. 
After the first brother had died in this way, they brought forward the second for their sport. They tore off the skin of his head with the hair and asked him, will you eat rather than have your body punished limb by limb? He replied in language, the language of his fathers and said to them, no. Therefore, he in turn underwent tortures as the first brother had done. And when he was at his last breath, he said, you accursed wretch, you dismiss us from this present life, but the king of the universe will raise us up to an everlasting renewal of life because we have died for his laws. After him, the third was the victim of their sport. When it was demanded, he quickly put out his tongue and courageously stretched forth his hands and said nobly, I got these from heaven and because of his laws, I disdain them. And from him, I hope to get them back again. As a result, the king himself and those with him were astonished at the young man's spirit for he regarded his sufferings as nothing. When he too, when he too had died, they maltreated and tortured the fourth in the same way. And when he was near death, he said, one cannot but choose to die at the hands of men and to cherish the hope that God gives of being raised again by him. But for you, there will be no resurrection to life. Okay, so that's where our, that's where our, our, our lectionary text finishes, but I'm gonna encourage you to go and continue to read. We don't have time to do it here. But um, but go ahead and continue to read it because it's a very moving story, a very powerful witness, not only for these brothers, but but also for their mother who ends up being martyred for the faith. So moms out there, okay, women out there, read this text. Very beautiful, especially the following verses all the way up to the end of the chapter. Uh, I had the, the great blessing when I was in Rome last time, the, the relics of the Maccabees taken from Jerusalem probably during the uh the crusades is now how they're now housed in or or significant part of their uh housed in the church a church in Rome uh last time I was there I had the chance to go down into the crypt which was all locked up but when you show up like this in a church in Rome your hat on and all this stuff so they unlocked the door and I got in underneath and, and was able to reverence the relics of the the wow. Maccabees pretty cool that's really cool all right what questions do you have annie let's do it okay so like first of all what in the world is going on i mean it's like another one of these like helicopter into the middle of the story kind of thing right like why are they like what is going on here historically i mean i know you told us this is very close to the time of christ but beyond that like what is this about second maccabees so so again nice helpful tool is Antonio Fuentes, because always a good reminder of the details of what's going on. You can always go back, as I did just a minute ago, to go and read. You know, just remind me, because like I was like, like for example, when did Alexander the Great die? I don't have any. And if you don't know that, you don't know that you're not going to be able to to navigate this whole thing. Okay, so so you're looking at fourth century, year three twenty three is the traditional date given to the death of Alexander the Great. When he dies uh, as a as a young man uh, at the, in the battlefield, I mean, he doesn't die in the battlefield. He dies because he gets like, the flu or something. He gets, he gets right, sick. Right. But he dies overnight, and he leaves us the greatest kingdom the world had ever known. And his generals break up the kingdom among themselves and become rulers, okay? One of them, or one of the, as the thing breaks up, one of the guys that gains power over Palestine 
uh, not immediately, but but not too far afterwards, is a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, who is a complete nut job, a lunatic, a complete lunatic. And you pick you can you can kind of we're just going to pick up a couple things here, guys, just for 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 background. If you go to first Maccabees chapter one and read from verse one through one through, well, 15 we won't do it. I'm going to do it very quickly for you. Verse one, chapter one, verse one. After Alexander, the son of Philip, the Macedonian who came from the land of Kittim had defeated, defeated Darius, the king of the Persians. So there's there's where you get, let me just go, watch this fast move, right? Babylonian exile. So the Babylonians are, well, Assyrians attack the Northern kingdom. Then the Babylonians rise to power. They come down and conquer Jerusalem. And then taken off for 70 years, right? But then Persians rise to, to power and release Israel, the, the, the Israelites back after 70 years. They go back to the Holy Land, but they're under the control of the Persians. Then Darius, he's mentioned here of the Persians, right? And then suddenly the Greeks raised up, rise to power, okay, under the under the headship of Alexander the Great. Well, under Philip and then Alexander. Then as this kingdom then breaks apart, the Romans come in and take control. So there's your 500 years leading up to Christ as far as political rule. And then, okay, this is verse two. He fought many battles, conquered strongholds. This is Alexander the Great. Verse five, this is his death. After this, he fell sick and perceived that he was dying. So he summoned his most honorable, his most honored officers who had been brought up with him from his youth and divided his kingdom among them while he was still alive. And after Alexander had reigned, 12 years he died, then his officers began to rule. Verse 10, from them, as from these officers, came a sinful root, Antiochus Epiphanes. Okay, and look at verse 11. In those days, lawless men came forth from Israel, misled many, saying, let us go and make a covenant with the Gentiles round about us. And since we have separated, nothing's good has happened to us. And then it says they removed the marks of circumcision. In verse 15, I don't know how you remove the mark of circumcision. Maybe they got... Sewed things back. I have no idea. Okay, we're moving on from that. Uh, that's the story. Okay, here we are now, 150 years or so prior to the coming of Christ. 150 years or so after the death of Alexander the Great, and things have gone from bad to worse. Now, Antiochus Epiphanes is going to release or is going to unleash upon the people a terrible persecution. And he's going to force people to abandon the faith. And there's going to be a, a family that r- rises up in Judah to say, we won't do this. We're not going there, right? Just speaking with a priest today, looking at the synod on the synodality and uh, and all these, it's the Trojan horse. I'm going to speak, speak more openly about this in some of our pregames coming up, but I'll say it here now. And that is, the, the, it, many are using it as a Trojan horse, that is, to promote things within the church, which are contrary to church teaching. Yeah. And similar way, there's people getting all confused at this time, 150 years before Christ, and they're starting to do things, become like the pagans in Jerusalem. And some guy stands up and says, I'm not going there. I'm waiting for one of our bishops to, I'm not going there. Transsexual and all this stuff. I'm not going there. All right. And this is what happened in chapter two, verse one, first Maccabees chapter two, verse one. In those days, Mattathias, the son of John, the son of Simeon, a priest of the sons of Jorib moved from Jerusalem and settled in Moedin. He had five sons 
John, surnamed Gadi, Simon, called Thassi, Judas, called Maccabeus, Alex, uh, uh, so you have all the Greek and the, and, uh, and the Hebrew and Greek names, right? They got both of them, all right? And so forth like that. So you've got Judas called Maccabeus. That's the guy who becomes his, his older brothers get involved. They get killed or all these things. And finally, he rises to power. He becomes the most dominant of the brothers to lead the revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes and against these atrocities saying, we will not do this anymore. We're not following you. And they begin a revolt. And uh, you can read about that revolt, the beginnings of that revolt in chapter two of first Maccabees, but we are not in first Maccabees. We are in second Maccabees. So then we're going to turn there now for the sake of time and say, and ch- take a look at chapter one, verse one, the Jewish brethren in Jerusalem and those in the land of Judea to their Jewish brethren in Egypt. So in the diaspora, and we've talked a lot about the Jews living in Egypt who are struggling to be faithful to God. And now there's an example in Jerusalem of a family that's being faithful to God and other examples. So first and second Maccabees is historical in the sense it tells the story of the revolt and things like that. If you love history, great book. But within that, there's all sorts of moral teachings about how God is caring for his people and taking care of those who remain faithful to the covenant. And those who yoke themselves to a foreign power, as the Maccabees sadly do later on, they end up making a covenant with Rome. And because of that, they become weak. So that's the story of the Maccabees is you may be faithful to God. You're going to undergo persecution, but, but, but the Lord's going to be victorious in your life. Okay. Uh, he's not going to abandon you, but if you don't remain faithful to the covenant, you may gain worldly power for a moment, but ultimately that worldly power is going to turn its back on you. And it's going to bite you like a snake. And that happens here in, in first and second Maccabees. And then we have we have our story here in Second Maccabees chapter 7, which is one of the stories within all of this question of whether you're going to be faithful to covenant in the midst of everyone else removing the signs of circumcision and eating pork. Hmm. Yeah. And so that's kind of your, your, your basic context here, Annie, is that, that the, whole, the, the first verse here tells us the whole story. It happened, the seven brothers with their mother were arrested and tortured with whips and scourges of the king to force them to eat pork in violation of God's law. So they were among those who were following the Maccabean revolt saying, uh-uh. ain't going there. Yeah. yeah. Great example okay. for us today, by the way, yeah. we haven't talked about why this is there in the liturgy, which is part of your helicopter problem, right? You're like, what in the world is going, why are we listening to this now? This is horrible. Right. Okay, go ahead. Right. And we'll, I think, get to that in the conversation, but okay. I got to ask, like, what's, What's the deal with pork? I mean, why is it that it's unlawful for the Jews to eat bacon? Was this like, did God just like wake up one day and say, no, you're not allowed? I mean, how did that, how did that happen? The the all-powerful will of God, which wants his people to suffer and not eat bacon. Yeah. (laughs) No. Okay. I'm going to say something about this. Well, and I should say too, like, and that it's so important that they would die to not eat it. Sure. You know? So I'm going to say something about this, but I'm not going to go all the way and say everything because we have a talk coming up here at the Institute of Catholic Culture this year on the Jewish law, which is going to include the dietary law and why the law was given to the people and how it has anything to do with salvation, which is ultimately your question, which I'm not going to answer except in part. And then it's fundamental kind of root that goes down to the fundamental problem with pigs and pork among the Jews. Although there's all sorts of dietary reasons, there's one fundamental reason, which goes back to the book of 
Exodus. Um, and if you want to take a look, just fl- keep your hands in Second Maccabees so you don't lose the spot. We're going to go back to Exodus chapter uh, 16. There it is. Chapters. There you go. Okay. Of course, Exodus, they're leaving Egypt. They go out into the desert and now they're cruising around the, the, the desert. Chapter 16, quite early. So they set out from Elim and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim, Elim and Sinai. So they had not reached Sinai yet. So what's true about this? These people don't have the law of God yet. Yeah. Leviticus hasn't been written. Mm-hmm. So the whole rule against pork hasn't been written. This is pre- pre- previous to that. Um, in verse 2, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And they said to them, would that we had died at the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and ate bread to the full. You brought us out of the land of the wilderness to kill this whole assembly hungry well one of the flesh pots of egypt many have commented that most likely this this is the you know the bellies of the pigs right the the flesh pots of egypt all the meats that the egyptian would have eaten which were few because some scholars have through research come to the conclusion that pork was one of the things that was was not actually worshipped by the egyptians because who worships pigs right yeah and so they this is one of the staple diets of the egyptians that they ate daily and so the people yearned for what they had eaten in Egypt. So this, uh, I'm going a little bit of screw strap to tell you, well, the basic fundamental problem with pork is not pork. It's Egypt. It's Egypt. And as I've said so many times, it, I think it was Scott Hahn or one of these guys that said, it was harder to get Israel out of Egypt than Egypt out of Israel. They came out with Egypt in their hearts and a hunger for Egypt in their bellies. But God says, no, you will not eat the things that they ate, you will eat the things they refused to eat because they refused to eat them because they worshiped them as gods. And these things aren't gods at all. Therefore, you're going to eat them as a way to confess the truth that you are followers of the one true God. Wow. So the, the port thing was, a, a, was, was more than pork. It was, it was a proclamation of what they believed about God. And that's why it's important to the Maccabees, because they refused to follow the, the polytheism of the Greeks and the Romans subsequent to this, or the Persians, or the Babylonians, or any of them. And it was hard to remain faithful. And it's hard to remain faithful in places like Egypt, to which Second Maccabees is being written. Wow. Wow. Um, that's really beautiful really beautiful no, it's okay beautiful but it's, it's well i mean like I, I mean the reasoning behind things i mean you and i have had a conversation recently like off of sgr here about god and the reason why we have why the church teaches what she does for instance and that it's not just simply be- because god says so like he woke mm. up one day and like made a law there's actually yeah. real reasons behind it based on who we are okay and who this, he the is. fundamental problem with this the whole the whole you know what is the consensus of the people that we want to what is the will of god's people i really don't care what i care about is what truth is yeah yeah and truth is an objective reality by w- to which i can form my life yeah yes yeah and so you know i you know you want to have so-called homosexual marriage I don't care what you want to have. I care what we're made for. The purpose of our life is for. 
And is the church's job to bring us into conformity with that so that we might find salvation in our communion with God yep. rather than a communion with ourselves and our own stinking, disgusting, corrupted will. Mm-hmm. I'm leaving it that one. Let's move on. Um, okay, so you you told folks that we just need to read to the end of, of mm-hmm. the chapter here, but can you give us a little Cliff Notes version? Because it tells us at the beginning that there were seven brothers with their mother. We only hear about what happens to four of them. What does What is the rest of the story here? Just well, just it's right. It, look, in verse 15, you know. next they brought forth the the fifth and maltreated him and in, in verse 18 they brought forth the the uh the sixth and in verse 20 the mother most especially admirable and worthy of 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 honorable memory though she saw her seven sons perish within a single day she bore with great courage and she encouraged and so you have her defense and her witness given to us and then the final suffering of the final the final brother verse in verse well 37 it, it picks it up just before that but i like my brother i like my brothers give up my body and life for the laws of our fathers okay and it goes through the whole sacrifice of the seven brothers and the mother and in verse 8 but judas who was also called maccabeus which is why i showed you chapter 1 verse 1 and following no chapter well First Maccabees chapter one, verse two and following one of the sons, right. Of Matt- Mattathias and his command secretly entered the village and summoned their kinsmen and enlisted those who had continued in the Jewish faith. And so they gathered about 6,000 men and they besought the Lord and so forth. It goes on. Okay. Wow. So that's, that's what happens here. But the most important point uh, maybe just before we move on from this, Annie. Yeah, this is going to be my next question. Like, why are we reading yeah. this right now? Yeah, well, the, the, because I said many times, I say it again, we're heading to Jerusalem in the Gospel of Luke. We are in, a, uh, or I should say now, actually, as we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke, we're in Jerusalem. Jesus is going to the Passion. The Lord is coming to the city. God is coming to visit his people. Right. And it and it's going to be a messy battle. As I've said many times, the story of salvation history is a story of of uh, it's a story of sinners and saints. The sinners being on the side of the devil and the saints being on the side of God. And the battlefield is the human heart. And it's a bloody bath. Salvation history. We shouldn't be surprised if people are dying and bleeding on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Right. People are being killed all over the place. The story of the salvation history is not a clean one because it's a story of the battle for salvation. And this is part of that battle right here. And through the persecution, through the suffering, God will have the last word. But it is not always as we see and we expect in our current bodily state, which is always what we want to try to keep. Stay here. I want to be here. No, but but uh, Second Maccabees is one of the great witnesses to our hope in the resurrection. Mm, yeah in that the lord will have the last word and there will be a resurrection of the body and death will 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 be washed away and and so chapter second maccabees chapter seven is usually quoted as an apologetic to those who like the jehovah's witnesses would reject the possibility of the resurrection of the body at least or you know the state of the soul i should say the state of the soul 
after death, right? Because they believe in the complete annihilation of the soul, the annihilation of the whole person, if you will, at the moment of death. And then the resurrection becomes something completely foreign to what apostolic Christianity believes it is. Um, but Second Maccabees is one of those books that talks about prayer for the dead. It talks about all these things, which are very much in line with Christian teaching, which is why the Jews had to reject Second Maccabees. It could not possibly be found in their canon in a time when Christianity was growing and Jerusalem was burning. Okay, finally, liturgy. Then, I've said this before, Christ is coming to Bethlehem, and that mystery is seen liturgically as the same act as Christ's second coming. So all of these comings of the Lord to save his people in the midst of the battle are brought forward now liturgically because what happened at the passion and death and resurrection of Christ is the same mystery which takes place in the baptismal font, which is the same mystery which takes place to the Maccabee brothers, which is the same mystery which takes place in the incarnation. All of these are the day of, of liturgy. So as we prepare for the coming of Christ, we don't only look backwards, but we look forward to his visitation at the end of time. And, the, and, and all of us will close our eyes to this world and open them to the next, which ties very nicely then to our gospel reading. Yeah, and to our responsorial psalm, just quickly before we get there. Psalm yes. 17, I love the last, uh, the last lines here. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. But I in justice shall behold your face. On waking, I shall be content in your presence. Can I share with you a quote from St. Leo the Great? Please. It says, this should be the careful consideration of wise people that since the days of this life are short and the time is uncertain, death should never be unexpected for those who are to die. Those who know that they are immortal should not come to an unprepared end. Ooh. Christ is coming. Yeah. Yeah. And actually the church in her mercy tells us when it's on Christmas day. Yeah. And those who want Christ to be born in their hearts, those who want to live with him, those who want, who are willing to die with him and receive the newness of life with him better prepare ourselves. And if we don't prepare ourselves then the Lord will have nowhere to come. But if we do prepare ourselves, then we will become like Bethlehem, right? Mm -hmm. We will become his tabernacle, his house in which he is born uh, uh, in our lives. And though, and so this time of our life, then, like I said, last week, I, I believe time is given to us. We heard that in the book of wisdom. Time is given to us as a time of repentance. That's the reason for it. Yeah. yeah. So make use of it in the right way. And then you'll be able to receive the great gifts that God wants to give to us. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the gospel. We are in Luke chapter 20 this weekend, and we're starting with verse 27. You ready to go, Padre? Luke chapter 20. Yep. No, because I looked over at my piece of paper. Okay, Luke 20, verse 27. 27. I got it. Let's go. All right, here we go. Some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, came forward and put this question to Jesus, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us, if someone's brother dies leaving a wife but no child, his brother must take the wife and raise up descendants for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first married a woman but died childless. The second and the third married her, and likewise, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. Now, at the resurrection, Whose wife will that woman be? 
for all seven had been married to her. Jesus said to them, the children of this age marry and remarry, but those who are deemed worthy to attain to the coming age and to the resurrection of the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. They can no longer die for they are like angels and they are the children of God because they are the ones who will rise. That the dead will rise, even Moses made known in the passage about the bush when he called out, Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Nice. All right. So, first of all, just to kind of get our context here, Father, we skipped over a rather significant chunk yeah, we did. of, of I know. Luke. I mean, I come think. on, we've been slugging through Luke this whole time and they have to You're go all like, about it. No, but I'm just kidding. And like, they skipped like this. Is, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> I, seriously, we've been trying to get to Jerusalem for probably six months. And now... Well, maybe it's because we read it on Palm Sunday. I don't know. But yeah, the... Yeah, we skip over his entry into Jerusalem. Who am I? Who am I to tell the liturgists that they they dropped the ball here? So, okay, <laughs> look, we're going to just go back very quickly to Luke chapter nineteen, verse one. Um, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. So he's made his way down the valley. We looked at this last week: the Sea of Galilee, down the the, the Jordan Valley, right down to the area north of the Dead Sea, Jericho, and he's going to make his way up now to Jerusalem. And now you have uh, a number of parables given, right? He, well, Zacchaeus, we have the story of Zacchaeus, right? Right. That's what we had last week. But then in verse 11, chapter 19, verse 11, and they heard these things and he proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem, right? Mm -hmm. So now Jesus has left Jericho. He's heading up and we're about to come over the Mount of Olives and head down the, uh, into the Kidron Valley. He says, I uh, told him a parable is near Jerusalem. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now, stop. I've said this many times that bears witness again. What's the kingdom of God? Well, what is the kingdom of God? Objectively, in its true sense, it is the life of the Holy Trinity. Right. And the church is that life made present. Those living in his image likeness on earth. Right. Mm -hmm. That that reality is incarnated, is made it's enfleshed throughout salvation history in the family of Abraham, for example, in the kingdom of David. So when they're, when these guys are talking about the kingdom of God, they're expecting the earthly reign of the David, the rightful heir of the Davidic throne, because in second Samuel chapter seven, uh, the Lord promised to David that the, the David's son would reign on the throne. His throne would, would remain forever. So they're expecting the restoration of the Davidic throne. Yeah. And Jesus is heading up Jerusalem. And I mean, it's either he's going to be killed or he's going to be enthroned as king. And that's the expectation of the people. He's coming. And those that believe in him believe that he is going to be enthroned as king, his followers, his disciples. So they suppose that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Yeah. And he said, therefore, See this? And now he's given a number of parables about that kingdom, about mostly about people in the kingdom not doing their job. And he's talking to whom? 
he's talking to the Jews that have been walking with him the whole time and are misspent, if you will. The goods that God has given them all through the Old Testament to be a light to the nations. They haven't planted the seed. They have, in a sense, they haven't invested the gift God has given. They kept it for themselves. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and so these parables that you get from verse 11 through verse 27 is all about that, about mm-hmm. this investment that has been misspent. Verse 28 through 40 is Jesus's coming down the Mount of Olives. You, you have to realize that when we're talking about Bethany and Bethphage here in verse 29, when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, Bethany is where Lazarus was raised from the dead although Luke does not mention it. Right. He sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite, uh, where on entering you will find a colt tied, right? Which is Bethphage, which is just, so Bethany is kind of like on this, you got to imagine, I'm looking at this, uh, the mountain of the, the, the Mount of Olives, the Kidron Valley and the Temple Mount, right? So Bethphage, Bethany is just on the, this part of the slope of the mountain. And then Bethphage is just like this, right? And then and then they head down the Mount of Olives. It's only what from Bethphage down to to the Temple Mount is about I don't know if you're walking in a decent clip about maybe a half an hour walk. Oh wow. From Bethany maybe a couple hours. So it's right there, okay? And then they get the thing and in verse 37 they come down the Mount of Olives. They're waving the palm branches, blessed is the king. They skip this whole thing in the in the uh in our liturgical cycle here. Uh, then verse 41, on the Mount of Olives, when you're coming down the mountain, the traditional place where Jesus wept, he wept over, there's a church there called called uh, Dominus Flevit. The Lord yeah, wept yeah. over Jerusalem, right? And you hear this, all of this, and then verse 45, he enters the temple. A lot of people don't realize this, that Jesus, the we in our minds, we think Palm Sunday, Last Supper, crucifixion uh, uh, i was going to say garden of gethsemane right the, oh, sure. and then crucifixion resurrection it's not that fast he comes down palms are being he's the king he's the king is here the king's arrived right and then uh he goes in the temple mount and he begins to teach in the temple and i'll just point out then who's coming to him in the temple it is you're 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 talking about fever pitch he's he's in the middle of the battle now so on verse 20 verse 1 on the day as he was teaching the people in the temple, the preaching the gospel, the chief priests, scribes, and elders. These are all the guys who are sitting with him at that table back a few chapters ago, right? At the ruler's yeah. house. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Tell us by what authority. And so every one of these things has trickery to it. They tell they they set a trap for him, and then he catches them in their trap. The one I love m- most about this is verse 20, chapter 20, verse 22. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Right. So if he yeah. try to trap him because he says you can't do it, and then all of a sudden he's going to be arrested by the Romans, right? If he right, says they're he's right there, do it, yeah. he's going to break the the Levitical law, right? So the law of the Jews. So, and then he says, "Show me a coin." Now, where is he when he does this? He's in the temple precincts, and there's money changers in the temple precincts. Why are there money changers? Because you can't bring foreign money into the temple of God. You can only use temple money. Okay. So they would have had to, if they were following the law themselves, exchange their money. They could not have had 
Roman coins in their pockets in the temple precincts. So Jesus says to them, well, show me a coin. And they pull the coin in their pocket and by the very <laughs> act, condemn themselves for breaking the law. Okay. So wow. I love it. And then, of course, you have the Sadducees now come to him and notice how they ask the question. Oh, well, verse 27, there came to him some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection. And they ask him, teacher. And then at the and then they talk about these guys, right, with this woman. Verse 33, in the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? Well, why is that a dishonest question? They don't believe in the resurrection. Right. So that so you see what they're doing. They're like, so if you really, if you believe in the resurrection, let's put a tough one to you. Right. They're trying yeah. to trip him up. Right. And now Jesus gives them the answer. So I know you have other questions about this text, but I think the first most important part of this is context, right? And so all of these guys are trying to trip Jesus up so that they can get the Romans to arrest them, him, or they can get the people to reject him. So Jesus is playing this apologetics game in the middle of the temple precincts. And there's crowds now. I mean, you were walking through with crowds up in Galilee. Forget about it. The place has gone mad. Jesus is out there preaching the gospel. and Everybody's flocking to him. He's, he's the show, right? He's, go, he's the only one in Jerusalem you want to listen to. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rulers of the Jews, everybody, they're tearing their hat. What are we going to do? And so they come and they try to trap him. So the, the Romans uh, arrest him or the people reject him. Go ahead. All right. Well, I, you know, we hear about the Pharisees a lot in the gospel, but the, the Sadducees, not so much. So who, who are the Sadducees? Yeah. I don't know. We don't hear about them. I mean, everybody's heard the word Sadducees. So well, yeah. But I mean, you're right. You're right. They, they don't, don't take, show up in the They don't take the forefront. They don't get in a battle with Jesus as much, but right. nevertheless, they are one of the parties of the Jews and different guys having different roles within Judaism would align themselves with a party. So don't think of the Pharisees and Sadducees like, I don't know, the priests and the deacons, right? Mm -hmm. You had priests and deacons who were in these parties, if you will, right? And yeah. obviously not priests. Yeah, so like the, the trads and the progressives and the like, kind of like that? Yeah, but you've got a plumber and you've got a carpenter. One's a Republican, one's a Democrat. Okay, you see what yeah. I'm saying? I, yeah, this is your yeah. bad examples. Forget my stupid Just examples. Trying to have some kind <laughs> of modern yes. idea. But the Sadducees, they were, they were, they were, uh, you know, of aristocratic families. They were well-to-do. Uh, and so when we hear of like the scribes and things like that, these were these were the lawyers. These are the guys that were the higher ups in society. Had aligned themselves with either the Pharisees or the Sadducees or other parties that were around. Uh, ways of life like the Essenes. So I'm going to recommend to you um, uh, a particular ICC uh, talk called Pharisees, Sadducees, and Essenes preparing for the Messiah with Dr. Stephen Smith. Nice. So you can kind of take a look um, at uh, at that. But they were they were you know higher ups in the Jewish society, and they were constantly fighting with the Pharisees over whether. There was the resurrection of the body. To what extent either party had a Christian concept of the resurrection is questionable, although yeah. it seems as though Jesus sides with the with the Pharisees on this point against the Sadducees. 
Uh, but yet he, but John the Baptist refuses to side with the Pharisees when they come down and they ask if he is Elijah who is to return. The fathers of the church make, make this point is, is saying, well, they, he refuses to say he is Elijah to return, even though Jesus says he is, because the Pharisees are trying to use him as a pawn in their game against the Sadducees, that he is the actual reincarnation of the prophet Elijah, which he's not. Right. Okay. And so he rejects this in the beginning of the gospel, especially of John, I'm thinking of. Um, so you go back and read that um, in John chapter one, why he says I'm not, but later on Jesus says he is, right? And so there's a whole fight going on behind the scenes. And here the Sadducees come out and try to trip Jesus up in the context of like who's standing around him. The Pharisees are. Yeah. They've been hanging around with him a lot. Right. So now they're trying to a fool out of him in front of the Pharisees, and uh, it doesn't go so well for them, as usual. (laughs) Clearly. Clearly. Okay. Now, I have one more kind of, I don't know, homily kind of question, I guess, more than anything, um, but I think can can get us to the the greater point liturgically about, you know, we've been talking about this theme of of resurrection, and um, I think some people might listen to this gospel passage on Sunday and wonder, you know, when Jesus says that to the resurrection of the dead, neither Mary nor are given in marriage and wonder, am I not going to be married Mm. in heaven anymore? Mm. Like, am I never going to see my spouse? Like, what is, what is that about? That sounds awful. Yeah, so this has caused no end of, of, of problems and debate with even within church, the church among theologians as mm-hmm. to the nature of the relationship between a man and a woman after death. Yeah. And to be, I have to be honest and open, and this is a great debate between the Eastern tradition, the Byzantine tradition, and that of the West, hmm. which I'm not going to get in here lest I be crucified by everybody. <laughs> but I will say this that Jesus does not say that people will not be married in heaven. He says they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So he doesn't say anything about the state of marriage. He says it's not going to happen that way once you die, once you're in heaven. There's not going to be new marriages, if you will. Yes, that makes sense. That's what he says. I'm not saying, please stop. I know you're about to, Father Hezekiah just said, I didn't say anything. So you can't pin that on me, but I will say what Jesus did say. And I says, we're not going to get married in heaven. Right. Yeah. So I will simply, obviously that's not the point of what we're trying to get at here. I mean, that's not even the Sadducees just kind of bring this up as an example. It's not exactly. It's a, it's a, it's a, what do they call it? A red, a blue herring. herring. (laughs) Philosophical error. Yeah. It's a, it's, 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 it's nonsensical. So uh, the point is about the resurrection and that's what they're getting at. And that's what Jesus is getting. That's what the church is getting at. Right. In light of second Maccabees. So that's our theme. So I don't want to go too far afield with the marriage question, but I will say this. That we are made by God for relationships, and those relationships affect who we are. And in 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 heaven, the 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 the, the saints have said, the theologians have said that we will have a clarity of vision, and that is, we will be able to see in the other all that is there. That mm. is good. That is that is good, right? And of course, in heaven, having been purified, we are everything there will be good. So there will be, in other words, there will be no be closed book in heaven, right? I'm going to be wide open. And I'm going to be able to see you for all you are and you see me for all I am. 
Well, all I am is made up of all the relationships which I have had. Yes. And so I'm going to take that one step forward and give you my perspective. And that is that it's like a fingerprint into clay or like a handprint into clay. It's like our soul. And when I come to know somebody in, in, in friendships and even more so in marriage, I'm, a, I'm impacted by that relationship. And we do this, right? We start speaking like our friends or we start uh, even like um, old couples start looking like each other. Even it's, it's crazy. We start finishing other sentences and so forth. That is who I am. And, the re- and, and this is where I think actually there is a point here we need to go after, which is a major error. And that is when Jesus says they will be like angels, he doesn't mean we're going to be disembodied souls, kind of like fat. Am I going to get my wings? <laughs> kind of this dazed, you know, drug-induced kind of, ah, uh, oh, no. And this all other people think of heaven. That's why people don't want, don't want, I want to be here as Jehovah's Witness get into this stuff, right? I'd rather be here. I don't want to be disembodied. Well, you're not made to be disembodied. You're made to have a body. We believe in the resurrection of the body. This is what the Maccabees believed in. This is what the Pharisees believed in. This is what Jesus preached. This is what happened when Jesus rose from the dead. This is what the apostles believed. This is the faith of the church, that we will rise in our bodies in the last day and our bodies and souls will be reunited and I will stand on my two feet. Heaven is not some floating around in the clouds. I wasn't made for that. So, so when I see Annie, I, 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 and this is Father Hezekiah now. I'm going to just feel a little bit. I mean, everybody has a concept of heaven, right? And like that, it's we don't know what's going to happen. That's the ultimate right, answer. Right. But, but, but I do believe that I'm going to like a, a hand and glove, like be able to see as Jesus sees His image and likeness in us. And it says, come, my friend, for I, I, I'm one with you. So we're going to be able to see this in others. I'll be able to see myself in Annie and Annie in me. And, 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 with, and with all of my relationships will be like this. And what is the most impactful relationship of all besides that of my relationship with God? And that is my relationship with my spouse. And that can never be changed. That is who I am. That is who I've become by the grace of God. And so, so, so everyone is going to see Linda my wife in me and glorify God in the image and likeness they see in me, which is this, all of these imprints of everyone that I've had a relationship, everyone I've come into communion with. Does that make sense? Yeah. So far from it, not being an intimate relationship in heaven, I think is more intimate than it is on earth. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I'm leaving the door wide open as to what really happens with marriage. And so I'm like, no, please, no, that's way above my pay well, grade. Well, I mean, what you had to say, I mean, it, it gives us, that's what we're looking forward to, right? I mean, like the the fullness of the relationship. And and I think so we can close out this conversation and move, move into the second reading, uh, the epistle from St. Paul. Um, yes. These are the kinds of things that, that give us the encouragement that he's talking about here in Second yes. Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16. 16. Second Thessalonians, shouldn't be too hard to find for you. Chapter 2, verse 16. All right, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting encouragement and good hope through his grace, 
encourage your hearts and strengthen them in every good deed and word. Finally, brothers and sisters, pray for us so that the word of the Lord may speed forward and be glorified as it did among you, and that we may be delivered from perverse and wicked people. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. We are confident of you in the Lord that what we instruct you, you are doing and will continue to do. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the endurance of Christ. I'll only, I'll only, only say this. Maccabees, the apostles heading into Jer Jerusalem toward what they do not know. All of us making our way to the nativity of Christ. Difficulties and challenges will come, but the Lord will be our strength. And in the end, he will be victorious. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and into ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.